Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a wonderful conversation with triathlon superstar, Jake Burtwistle. Jake is spearheading the next generation of triathletes and it was a real honor to have him on the show. And in this episode, Jake discusses the importance of saying yes to opportunities and how saying yes to a roll down spot for the Tasmanian athletic team when he was just 14 ignited the fire to become the champion that he is. Jake describes his journey and how he operates day to day and he steps through some of his greatest achievements, including the two World Series wins, his Commonwealth Games silver medal, and what he needs to do to win the Tokyo Olympics. We cover a lot in this episode, but before we go on, a quick thank you for listening and sharing and all your feedback. And thank you for supporting my Patreon page. It all helps me with this journey that I'm on. I really appreciate it. And finally, Thank you to Athletic Greens and Hyperice and Form Swim for their support. I encourage you to go check them all out. Great brands who are behind what I do. I hope you enjoy, Jake. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today's guest is one of the hottest prospects ever to see the world of triathlon. He showed incredible class in his youth athletics, winning 11 Australian junior titles. At age 20, he finished second in the Australian Senior 10K Road Race Championships. And although running looked like it could possibly be a career path, he chose triathlon. And boy, was triathlon a great decision. With podiums already in 2018 and 2019 World Triathlon Series overall and silver at the Commonwealth Games in 2018, World Series wins in Hamburg and Leeds and the under-23 world title at the age of 20. He goes into the next Olympics as a strong contender for a medal. And I'm a huge fan of his. And I'm honored to have him on the show. So welcome and thank you for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show. Jake Burtwistle, how are you, mate? Hey there. Yeah, thanks very much. What, a, what an introduction. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, it's great to, great to have a chat with you. You're more than welcome. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Where are you at the moment? Uh, I'm at home in uh, Tasmania, where I've Tasmania. pretty well been right. for the last 12 months, which is pretty, I know, pretty it, strange. It, you, <laughs> you've been kind of stuck there for a while, but for people that don't know, Tasmania is down the bottom of Australia. It's a little island off the bottom, and um, you're in Launceston, right? Is that where you live? Yes, yeah, Launceston, yeah. Yeah, so the northern Tassie part. I spent a little bit of time down there with um, one of a. Australia's greatest ever triathletes, and that was Craig Walton. And uh, he was more in, he's in Devonport, just about 10K away or so from you, or how far away is Devonport? Yeah, uh, it's about an hour's drive. Um, oh, is it? Yeah. So, yeah, Tassie looks yeah. little, but it's, uh, there's still a bit of distance between where, where we are. I know. Well, I mean, the amount of talent that comes out of that place, it's insane. I was thinking about it just before the show. With, I had Cam Worth on the show who um, from Tasmania, and then uh, people might also know Richie Port, you know, the Tour de France star. I mean, there's there's incredible talent that comes off the island there. What do they feed you down there? Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> there's not not as much, I guess, uh, numbers, but I guess the the ones we have generally seem to be really strong. I think at one point the team's pursuit, like the women's track team, the four of the athletes were all Tasmanian for a while there, which is pretty wild. Um, <laughs> it's insane. So something about cycling down here, it's really, really nice for riding. So um, I guess that's why it is. Everyone kind of can see the the joy in it and um, get involved and it kind of just goes from there, I suppose. Yeah. I, I think about like the last 12 months where we've all kind of been a bit trapped wherever we are in the world. There's worse places, isn't there? Tasmania is not a terrible place to be trapped for, for 12 months. I mean... Do you get a little island fever or is it, you know, 
we're happy to get you just we're able to leave these last month or so um do you get a little island fever yeah uh, not really like it definitely feels weird um to be here for so long i think kind of especially being like an australian triathlete like we have to basically mm. follow the races across the world so i usually spend somewhere between six and eight months traveling a year wow um so to then kind of not leave or I've had one trip in the 12 months since I got home um, just to a, a just to Queensland in, a, in Australia still so yeah to go from like one extreme to the next I reckon it's it's been a bit of a shock to the system I guess and it was my first winter in seven years I think um, <laughs> which is pretty I don't know I guess it's kind of funny I had it really built up in my head like it was going to be the worst thing ever and I survived it just fine. So um, there was <laughs> no, that. <isn't> funny? <laughs> <laughs> we pride ourselves on living summer to summer to summer and then you go, hang on, having a bit of downtime and a bit of winter is kind of nice for a while. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Mate, and uh, with the with Zwift and I, I've got a treadmill set up in the garage now. So the days that it was really bad, I uh, I managed to, to stay out of it anyway. So yeah, um, yeah. there was that too. <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember, the, the last time and probably the first time we met was in um, – Edmonton in 2017 where you had that unbelievable finishing kick remember um you overtook Mario Mola um, yeah I, I figured we were going to talk about this let's get it over and done with yeah for people that don't know uh, firstly you do have probably one of the the world's greatest finishing kick in fairness um however in this race it was a lap early that we kicked um but you did an incredible you know, steeplechase, you know, your steeplechase that you had in your, in your junior years kicked in and you jumped back over the podium. Uh, what do you call those things? Not a podium, whatever it was. Just barrier. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and what was impressive about that race, even though you kind of went with a lap earlier and almost, I don't think you threw your hands up in victory, you actually still held on for second. So that was a pretty gutsy effort to go an all out sprint and then have to hang on for, what was it, another mile, kilometer and a half? Yeah, it must have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, mate, I don't think you're ever going to get to live that down. It's always going to be a remember when story, but it was it was fascinating to watch. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, it was definitely something. <laughs> it was but, definitely uh, something. It well, taught well, me a bit as well, though. Obviously, well, obviously, the first thing it taught me was to make sure you listen in race briefing when they say <laughs> how many laps to do on the run, because it wasn't that I miscounted. I just assumed because we're used to doing two laps for a five k. I was like, oh, two laps, no worries. Yeah. And then uh, I went past Mario so easily in that finishing 400 meters. And I was like, oh, I'm not super confident. I've done the right thing here. Oh, um, no. So I kind of questioned it right away. And then, yep, sure enough, I had to jump over the barrier and kind of get out there for another lap. But, yeah, to be able to go that deep and then still run another mile um, yeah. kind of showed me that, oh, I can actually probably push harder than I think. Um, I, I know. Uh, I took, I took I, that away I've, from it. So. I've, I've watched you race many times and thinking, I think I always feel like you've got even a little bit more in that kind of two or three K to go. Um, you're very good at winding it up with maybe a mile, a kilometer to go. And I'm like, I think you could even go further from home. And that'll come, I think, with doing the more strength and endurance working, just confidence. But look, we can we can talk about that lap, you know, that that 2017 actually just recently i was uh, announcing the challenge miami race in florida here and uh a good mate of mine tim o'donnell he 
got off went to get off the bike a lap early um it was a 17 lap bike but he he came flying into transition they're like no 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 um so he, he lost a fair bit of time and had to mount his bike and get back going again so you're not alone it happens uh, yeah and, and sport and it's racing but before we get too far in the show and we i keep embarrassing you about the mistakes you made i gotta congratulate you on you know your nomination for the australian olympic team um which you got this past you know year and i know we're waiting for the olympics but how did you receive the news and, uh, you know, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you. Um, so Australia changed their policy um, for the, like, Olympic selection during COVID because mm. um, we weren't meant to have our team announced until I think it was only, like, six or so weeks before the Games. Mm. Um, and I think with so much uncertainty, it was, I think, the high performance team just thought, well, it's probably going to be beneficial to give some of our athletes a bit more clarity heading into the games. Mm. Um, so they kind of reworked the the policy, and um, yeah, thankfully in December there was um, yeah one male and one female um, position up for nomination, and uh, yeah, thankfully I was able to get that. So yeah, got the call from Justin, our high performance director, who uh, basically just said. Um, do you want to get on a plane to Tokyo next year? And and that was kind of that. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a massive weight off my shoulders. Um, not so much changes anything really because that was obviously the plan already, but um, mm. it, it's just nice to know now. A quick mini break. I really want to encourage you to do something special for yourself and sign up to Athletic Greens and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. I'm loving the new Hypervolt Go percussion massage device from Hyperice. It's powerful, quiet, lightweight, and TSA approved so I can use it while I travel. Check out the Hypervolt Go and all the other incredible Hyperice gear at hyperice.com and use code Greg10 for a 10% discount. That's hyperice.com. If you want to see all your key metrics like pace, distance, stroke rate, and heart rate while you swim, you need the Form Smart Swim Goggles. Go to formswim.com forward slash Greg. That's formswim.com forward slash Greg and get $15 off. Or you can use code Greg15 at checkout. I mean, there's already enough enough in the world right now to, to at least have that in your back pocket so you can go okay did it did it help with motivation because i kind of feel like this last you know the year we all had i really felt for you guys with with the the sort of um having races taken away taken away taken away it was like you know and then the olympics and everything sort of postponed i mean what was your motivation like and, and was that a good sort of little kick start to go hang on you know this is still something special and i really want it yeah, um, I don't know if it had too much of an effect, really, because um, in my in my head, if there's a one percent chance of the games happening, I was still preparing one hundred percent. So um, yeah, it didn't really change things too much. It was more just a bit of a weight off my shoulders, more than anything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Definitely, like the motivation fluctuates over the last twelve months, especially more than ever. Um, being at home, especially like not having a training group, which I'm used to definitely makes those tough days a little bit harder. But, um, yeah, I guess it's pretty easy to remind yourself why you do it um, and to get out there and just get it done on those tough days. And, um, 
make the most of it, I guess, when the, when you have your good days. Well, it's funny. I, I saw a, a quote when it came to investing the other day and it made me think of, you know, triathletes and training and it said, you know, you look at the stock market and it says, if in doubt, zoom out. And I like that as a theory because we kind of get consumed in the the now or, you know, you watch the stock market and it plummets in a month and you're freaking out. But if you zoom out and look at five years, 10 years, you kind of go, oh, it's a tiny little blimp and we just keep improving and we stay consistent. We, we, we keep going forward. And I kind of think this last 12 months is for, for, for many athletes, it's going to be okay. When we zoom out and look at your entire career, you know, you're, you're 25, 26 now, it's, you've still got so, so many great years in front of you if you want them um, that I think it's going to be fantastic once you actually do get to go back onto the World Series and back racing. But maybe this is going to be a blessing in disguise in kind of going, asking yourself, you know, how much do you really want it, you know? Um, I, I think, you know, with the Olympics coming up, are you confident they're going to happen? Um, yeah, I, I think so. Obviously, I think it's going to be different to normal. Um, there's mm. no way it can kind of go ahead as it has previously. But, um, yeah, look, I think it, it's still an Olympic Games at the end of the day. So if as long as there's still competitions for the athletes, then um, I think that at, at this point that's about as much as we can ask for. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic, I guess. Um, and like I kind of said, if there's – unless it's, um, yeah, fully called off again, um, then you have to kind of prepare and just – if we yeah. get any bad news later down the track, then you deal with that then. But you try not to think about it too much at this point. No, you have to prepare like it's happening no matter what. And, um, you know, so, I mean, I think I think you're missing your squad. Are you going to be able to get back? I mean, I want to talk a bit more about your squad, but uh, do you think Australia's going to let you get out and get to training camps here soon? Or have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's a possibility. Um, so there's a bit of a few kind of hoops to jump through, I suppose, um, in terms of getting out of Australia and um, just because our travel restrictions are so tight at the moment. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think with an Olympics kind of coming up, um, there'll be the, the opportunity to to get away and rejoin Joel and the group. Um, it just kind of comes down to timing and when is best to do that um, because obviously mm. once I leave Australia, there's kind of, no coming back <laughs> that, that's true that's true unless you want to do all the quarantines and things but um, yeah exactly yeah yeah well well let's let's um shift gear a little bit and let's let's tell me about your journey to getting to this point i mean it's been pretty remarkable when i did the homework for this just you obviously come have a fair bit of athletic pedigree um when did that all start for you um well, i guess i was always involved in sport um and uh yeah kind of very naturally got involved in running um mm. just through like school cross-country events and it kind of just snowballed i guess like it went from racing at the school cross-country to the regionals to the states and then the national like the australian champs and it kind of just happened like that and then i remember the first year i went away to nationals was when I was in grade four, so I think like nine <laughs> or ten years old. Wow. Um, I, I made that team. I got the call up for that state team because uh, a few of the athletes that finished in front of me at the state championships didn't go. Oh. Um, and I kind of was able to convince my parents like, oh, but I might never get the opportunity again. <laughs> um, I get we 
in hindsight, <laughs> obviously yeah, yeah. that wasn't the case, but we kind of wanted to make the most of that opportunity um, while it was there. So I convinced them to, to let me go um, and I raced at the Nationals and um, I was one of the last to finish, that's for sure. But um, I remember just like as soon as I finished, I, that's kind of when I wanted to start training and I wanted to, to do better the next year. And uh, it, that's kind of just how it all went. Um, every year I kind of wanted to come back and do better and, and better. And then um, I guess a few years down the track, I started winning the Australian champs on the track. Um, wow. And uh, what, was, what was your first Australian title that you won and how old were you? I don't, I'd say I was probably 14 or 15. Uh, it was a, a 2000 steeplechase. Um, at the national champs, it was actually held in Tasmania in Hobart, um, and I I remember it actually pretty well. I was I'd never really done a steeplechase in a like a race environment before because in Tasmania it's quite a small community like the athletics. So I would generally race a steeplechase and uh, be maybe one of two or three people in the race. So you never get caught up in the group and you never have to worry about things. So. I remember I was just like, all right, I'm going to run hard the first 100 metres and get first over the water barrier and then uh, just to kind of feel safe and then I'll kind of settle in. Um, and I obviously really committed to that kind of race plan and I think by the first water barrier I had about a 10-metre lead and I basically held that 10-metre lead the whole race after that and, and won my first national title, um, wow. which was like a massive surprise. Um because I think it, yeah, not many kind of people had kind of really done it like that before, and um, I certainly wasn't expecting it, but it kind of just happened. Just straight off the front because you didn't want to be touched. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you come from an era of Australian runners. Are you friends, or do you know um, a guy by the name of Morgan McDonald? Because he went to my high school in Sydney. And, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you do? Yeah, I so mean, Morgan, I, I was going to give his resume, the, but you, you tell me if you know him first. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, I think he's a year younger than me. Um, so right. we kind of grew up every couple of years, like racing together. Um, we went to the World Cross Champs in Poland. I'm trying to think of the year, but I don't remember what year it was. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of know him through that mostly um, yeah. and have obviously kind of followed his career as he's gone over to pretty well dominate in the, the U.S. collegiate system. It's incredible. So people that don't know, Morgan McDonald um, won the NCAA Division One cross-country champs and um, just just incredible athlete. He's, he's won a lot, hasn't he? And and I think now he's off to have his pro career and, and everything else. But I, I, I looked at when I – I think I befriended him about two years ago. I saw that he went to the same school as me in Sydney in Newington and I was like, oh, an old Newingtonian doing very well over here in the States. And, uh, and then I looked at it and it's like, hang on, he was born in 95 or 96. Exactly. And that was the same kind of year as you were. So there's, there was quite a few of you. There was even, I think a number of other great Aussies coming out of that, that sort of mid nineties, you know, <laughs> group that you were born in. Um, and I think the, the future of Australian runnings in, in pretty great hands. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, right from the beginning, it was like that. Um, yeah, my, my age and like the year kind of either side were always really strong. Mm. Um, mm. and kind of, yeah, like from the, the same athletes that were kind of competing then 
Um, but that first time away, I still, when I was 12 years old, I still racing now and now just like stepped up obviously to that world level. Um, like Stuart McSwain is the same age as me, who was a Tasmanian boy from King Island. And mm-hmm. so I kind of grew up racing against him and now he's probably one of the best distance runners in the world. It's um, if you look at his results. So, um, yeah, like Australia definitely has kind of in the last few years has had a lot of uh, athletes show huge potential in, in athletics, which is really cool. It makes me sometimes question my decision. <laughs> uh, um, I was going to ask knowing, my very next question. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's let's look at that. I mean, you know, you left running. Why? I mean. Yeah. Um, the why, I guess. Well, I, I guess to start with, there was a few years there where I was I was already doing triathlon, um, mm-hmm. more as just cross training. Um, my running coach didn't want me to run too much, so he said, "I oh, will go swim and go ride." And um, so I was racing triathlon as well, like on an Australian level, um, but obviously you had nowhere near the success I did in the running. Um, but I just really liked swimming and riding. And uh, I got to a point where I was, yeah, basically pressured to kind of pick one or the other because it was at that stage where I couldn't really do both anymore. Um, And, uh, yeah, basically I just, I couldn't picture myself running twice a day every single day for the rest of my athletic career. Mm. Um, I thought I would get too bored of it. So I I wanted to keep riding and, uh, sorry, yeah, riding and swimming, um, mm. and that's kind of just how it went. And thankfully, I, I guess I, I thought I could be good in triathlon, but obviously at that point I didn't really know. Um, so thankfully, I've kind of continued to progress how I'd hoped, <laughs> um, and had a bit of success there. Yeah, I just think it's brilliant that we have such extraordinary athletes choosing triathlon and what i what i mean by that is i i came from the generation where you kind of i loved triathlon but you know i tried my hand at running and and was nowhere near the caliber of any of you guys that are choosing triathlon I mean, and i put you in with you know alex Yee and and the brownlee brothers and um you know there's a whole group of you that potentially you know could have focused and had great careers as just runners but you all chose triathlon and that is what has lifted this sport way beyond anything I could have ever imagined. I, I've, I've had quite a few old school athletes on, Chris McCormack and Craig Alexander and a few others, and we all count our blessings that we had our careers 20 years ago. Because yeah. You guys are lifting the bar and, and lifting, the, lifting the standard of the sport just, just so, so far. Um, and I love the fact that you you chose triathlon because you just you love the sport you love swimming, biking and running. Um, do, when you say, do you every now and then kind of look over at the other guys and go, I could be matching them, you know, I could be matching them on the 5k or, or the cross country at worlds. Do you think bring a professional, I mean, you talk about the running twice a day, but let's move that out of the way and just say you were happy doing it. Do you sometimes look at running as a pure run and go, oh, I'd love to go back there and give it one good, good crack. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, it kind of goes through like phases, I guess. Um, I know during like the 2016 Olympics um, and seeing a handful of athletes that I used to run against and that I used to beat, I guess, 
um, competing while I was kind of watching it in my apartment in Spain while the rest of my training group were there. Uh, um, during that moment, I was definitely thinking, oh, I should have been a runner. Uh, but um, yeah, like, I think now at, at this point, it's more just like every now and then um, mm. I'll watch a, watch a race um, and think I'd love to be out there racing with those guys again. Um, and I think one at one day I will. Um, I'd almost had planned to kind of race on the track again post Tokyo Olympics. Um, mm-hmm. Not as like a switch back to running, just as to kind of, I wanted to, there's a massive event in Australia, the Zatapec 10,000. Um, Big one, yeah. And uh, I, I've never competed. I've done the junior race there, um, but never raced the elite one. And I'd love to do that one year and kind of see how I go. Kind of finish the World Series and then spend the next few months up until December when that race is, kind of focusing on the running and kind of seeing how quick I can go over 10K. I'd love to do that one year, but um, yeah, with the, the delay of Tokyo, that's kind of pushed that back another year, I guess. And yeah, well, it's I mean, still just you... uh, an idea at this point. Yeah, but it's great to have those kind of ideas. I mean, it still excites you. I mean, Gwen, Gwen Jorgensen, who was on the show back last July, August, we spoke a lot about that because I was kind of like, you know, why'd you leave triathlon? You know, you, you just won the Olympic games and, and, uh, you'd had so many great wins and so much success. She just said, look, I just always wanted to see what I could do running. So, you know, she, she did make the switch and is focused entirely on, on the track. Um, it'd be interesting to see if there's a point there, like if you can massage it into your triathlon career, I don't want to see you leave triathlon so i'm not advocating <laughs> that but it'd be great to see just how quick you could run a zatapec 10k like you said or um uh, or any any great track event anywhere in the world um because it's just great to see the top of our sport triathlon going on and taking on the individual sports every now and then you know whether it be cycling or running tends to be the two that we we see a few attempts at that so um yeah, it'd be fun to watch. Let's just yeah. get this Olympics out of the way, win that gold medal, and then we'll figure it out after that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> simple. <laughs> yeah. So when was it? I mean, when was it that you were kind of like, okay, I'm in triathlon? Was it, you were getting some positive feedback? At what moment were you like, this was a good decision to do triathlon? Because you know, you might have a few regrets of seeing your mates in 2016 and at the Olympics, but you've had some pretty positive feedback before that in triathlon and after was there a moment where you're like this is a good decision um yeah i don't know if there was a, a like a moment that it clicked at all um but i guess my progression in triathlon right from the start was really involved in high performance um as a junior i was in a lot of like development programs to kind of make that tra- uh transition from a like a junior with potential to a a good elite athlete Mm, mm. um so it kind of was quite a smooth transition i guess for me um so there was never really a moment where i thought oh okay I've, i've done it i've made the right decision um but it was kind of yeah i don't know i guess i had a really like a smooth career and like a build up to get to like racing world series like i spent the few years like the first few years racing continental cups and, and things like that around Europe. And then the next year, um, kind of the same thing and did a couple of world cups. I think I actually only did two world cups and the second one I was on, I think I finished second. Um, so from then I started getting starts in world series races and kind of, that was the beginning of it all, I guess. So mm. it was quite a, a quick 
progression as well in that sense. I mean, by 2018, then, you know, you're 23. Um, then you, you're making the Commonwealth Games team. You're doing better than that. You, you get the silver medal and you just run out of real estate um, with an incredible 1436 uh, five kilometer run. I mean, what how was that like? What was that sort of experience like in front of a home crowd on the Gold Coast in Australia? Uh, yeah, it was amazing. Um, like that, my, that was my first like big like multi sport games experience, um, and to be in Australia and then to perform well, mm. um, it was kind of like the the three big things. Um, I made it a massive and like really enjoyable experience. Um, I remember like obviously growing up as an Australian, you watch the Commonwealth Games when they're on TV and it's the, it's almost the same as the Olympics. Like as a kid, you dream of being one of those people. So to to go there and to do it in Australia and race well, um, yeah, it was a, a massive highlight. And I think it will be for for no matter what happens in my career, that's going to be a massive highlight that I'll always mm. kind of look back on. Um, I remember so well the running like the last kilometre and just how incredible the the cheers from the crowd were as I'd finally like bridged up. And I think at that point I'd just got into into the silver medal position um, and running that last kilometre trying to like chase down Henry out the front. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool memory that I've got. Yeah, well, I mean, you're only five or six seconds back, I think, at the finish um, with that incredible run. And then you went on to have the mixed relay and Australia dominated that. I think you guys won by almost over a minute um, and you were the final leg. So you got to have the final cheers. What what was that like in comparison to the individual event? Yeah, um, really different, I guess. Um, yeah, when I started, I was the anchor for the relay. So I was the last athlete and it was almost wrapped up. Um, obviously, I couldn't... Um, <laughs> I couldn't let my guard down too much because I had obviously Alastair Brownlee racing for England um, in the silver medal position at that point. So you are you never put too much doubt on him. Um, you never know what he can do because obviously he's the, the best to ever do it. But yeah. I knew as long as I kind of kept my cool and didn't um, go out too hard and completely explode that I was going to cross that line first for Australia. Um, so, yeah, to do that, it was almost like I remember running the one and a half K or however long it is in the relay. Um, it was almost like a victory lap because I, I didn't really have to push at all. Um, I knew I was safe and um, was able to actually really enjoy it. Um, I remember coming into the second transition, like coming off the bike, I had a, a thought run through my head. Um, it was just that, like, this is literally the moment I dreamt about when I was a kid. Um racing for Australia at the Commonwealth Games with pretty well a guaranteed gold medal when I finish. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty awesome, yeah. What a great – I love that, that, you know, it was your dream and then it was almost like you visualized it for so long. Is that – I mean, was it a visual? Like was that – are you a visualizing type of guy that, that that was something you'd even seen and so it was kind of like, wow, it's actually really happening? Like I visualized it? Yeah, I'm not – strongly into visualizing but I definitely like to I guess I'd say more of a dreamer than a visualizer um, <laughs> I but that. I think I guess they're what kind of one in the same to what to some extent um, mm -hmm. and yeah it's definitely something that I'd spent a lot of time thinking about so I guess it's the kind of the same thing 
Yeah. Well, mate, I, I think the the mixed relay, I just think such a great add-on to the the World Series, the Olympics. Um, you know, you've had your you've won the world championships, the Commonwealth Games with the Australian team. I think you've had a couple of, you know, silver and bronze and everything else. Um what are your thoughts on the mixed relay and for for the Olympics and and how do you when you think about the Olympics coming up um, do you think or about or dream about it with the mixed relay or is it focused more on the individual event? Um, yeah, like the relay is an awesome event. Um, I think in triathlon you still kind of focus um, on the individual, and I guess it's because that's what you can really control. Mm. Um, the, the strange thing about the, the relay in the triathlon is it's still, even though you're racing for each other and it's a team thing, um, you're out there alone. Um, so it's for individual athletes. It's not really a team, like you're not doing it together. So, mm. um, I think it's kind of, it's kind of one in the same, all you can really do is focus on your performance over each discipline um mm. but yeah i guess yeah there's something about the individual race and having like the, the more history that it has and the, that's kind of i guess where you put um your first thoughts towards mm. and then uh, you kind of look at the relay at the moment as a as a second opportunity i suppose yeah i i, I honestly think uh the country that gets to win the the mixed relay, I just think it, it could be one of the really great Olympic moments. Uh, I think having men and women on a relay together over three sports, um, I think it shows who's the fittest and greatest country in the world. And, and so I, I kind of, I love it. And, and my dream is that I see Australia with you as the anchor up against the French and sorry, in the US and a couple of others in there, the Brits. And then it's you and Vincent Lewis running down the final couple of hundred, you outkick him just as you did in Hamburg in 2019 for the Australian win. So I think that's a great, I think you should have that dream added to your little individual dream that you've got as well because I think that'll be a really great highlight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got that one already, don't you worry. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> Mate, and we move on then after 2018. Uh, 2019, you, you got that elusive, those elusive uh, victories in the World Series race. Um Leeds and, and, and Hamburg, and, and what I like about that is, you know, Leeds is a, a fairly tough Olympic distance. You know, it's a pretty brutal race. Um, you'd almost call it a strongman's type race. And then Hamburg, which is probably the fastest, you know, kind of circuit racing we have and we've had for 20 plus years. Um, and you had those two wins. Which one did you prefer? Which one impacted you the most? Um. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, I both guess, great, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like Leeds was amazing. Um, it kind of all came together for me that day. Um, mm. And I guess, yeah, for like the past few years or the years leading into that, um, I'd been a, a podium athlete and I'd had a handful of podiums, um, but I'd never got the win. Mm. And I remember on the run when Henry kind of, made a bit of a surge and kind of got away. He had a probably a 10 or 15 meter gap on the three or four of us that were running in second place at the time um, with maybe three or four K to go and a, 
I was kind of suffering for the early stages of that run, kind of just trying to hold on to the back of the group. And as one person dropped off, I would really fight and force myself to get in front of them and hold on to the back of the group no matter what. And uh, and when Henry kind of attacked, I was I started to feel all right. And I was like, well, I have no reason to let him run away from me right now. So I then kind of just switched in my mind and I chased after him and then straight away just went past, hmm. um, which is for me, like I know I have the the finishing kick and I know that's probably my strongest asset and my best way to win a race. Um, and then the first time I win a World Series event, I take the lead and, and break away with 2K to go um, was kind of the, the opposite way of how I saw it happening in my mind. But so that was kind of, yeah, a massive thing. And I, and I was, yeah, 24, I guess, at the time. Um, I felt like I'd been waiting for years to get that win though. So I love that. It was it was so good to get that and then kind of realize that I could do it. Um, yeah. And from then, like every race I went to, I expected to win again. Um, and I think that was like a massive thing in Hamburg. And I will say Hamburg was my favorite. Um, that's... That's my favorite event on the circuit and has been for, for years um, mm. where I got my first podium. Um, and so to win there and the way that we ran that race was just so enjoyable. Um, like one, two, three, four, mm. all from our training group. It almost felt like a training session at some points out on the run. Like we were just kind of fighting amongst ourselves and then just to come down to that last K, um, that was a really special race and something that, I think I said at the time it was probably the most fun I'll ever have in a triathlon. Um, mm. So I look back at that as probably probably my favorite race that I've done um, up until now anyway. Well, I think uh, for people that don't know, the Hamburg WTS, it's absolutely jam-packed. The crowd is unbelievably vocal. It's a huge crowd. The energy around the event is just spectacular. It really is something special. Um, and you mentioned your training squad and Vincent Lewis, uh, jeans and Mola, um, just incredible. And I looked that up you, before this, uh, you ran a 14, 13, 5k. Now in saying that Hamburg does tend to be notoriously fast. Um, I'm never sure, but I mean, that kind of run shape, were you, did you feel like it was that kind of a, a run shape? You were in that kind of form? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I'd say like, yeah, to, if you want to win Hamburg, you have to run low 14s. Um, oh, wow. It's kind of just that simple at this point. Um, but yeah, I don't know. In triathlon, I feel like you don't really think even too much about the times. Um, no, no. Because obviously you're all just there to, to win the race. Um, mm. But yeah, like the, the reality is that's kind of what it takes at this point, yeah. So what do you prefer in terms of distances, Olympic distance or sprint? And what would you want the Olympics to be if you had, if you had your own choice? Um, at this point, I'm kind of 50-50. Um, I used to always prefer the sprint because that's as kind of a young athlete and someone with, I guess, a really punchy racing style um, and that kind of real turn of speed. Mm. Um, the sprint always really suited me. But now over the past few years, I feel like I've got so much stronger and that endurance is really built up and I feel like I can actually race the Olympic distance the same kind of way now. Um, mm. So at this point, 
yeah, I really don't have it. Oh, I'll say I prefer the sprint distance, but that's not necessarily anymore because I think I'm better at it. Mm-hmm. I just enjoy the shorter race. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got you've got the ability to, like you said, that explosive power for the short, and now you're getting the aerobic conditioning and the strength to go for the Olympic distance. You're in a good place, you know, where you can you can kind of choose which one you want to try and try and win. Um, let, let's shift gear a little bit and just take me through a typical kind of day in the life of what you what you what does your night routine like, and then your morning routine. So at the moment, or. Uh... In generally, I mean, I, I don't know where you are at the moment. I, I guess at the moment, uh, um, you know, a, a typical kind of, do you have a night routine or morning routine that you like to follow? Um, yeah, not really. I guess I just like to keep things pretty similar. Um, so, yeah, like normally when we're at a training camp uh, when I'm with the group, we'll probably start the day around 8 or 9 o'clock um, which sounds pretty late, but I guess once you kind of get into the routine of doing that, it just feels normal. Um, so yeah, I, I generally try and wake up at least an hour and a half before whatever the first session is, just because I like to really, I, I hate that feeling of kind of rolling out of bed straight into a workout. Um, so yeah, I, I like to get up pretty early. Um, relatively, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, relatively. Uh, and then, yeah, it's kind of just follow the routine, I guess. Um, keep things as similar as possible day in, day out. Um, we usually kind of get one session in the morning, one around either like before or just after lunch, and then the third session. I usually try and push it as late as we can. Um, whenever it comes to a vote, I'm usually voting for the latest possible session. Um, just to spread it out as much as possible, really maximize that nap during the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, as it, when you're kind of in the group, you kind of, obviously you're better off to go whenever the group goes, but generally that last session's around like five or six o'clock. Yeah. See, I, you and I would have been butting heads. I, towards the end of my career, I started, once I got warmed up, I wanted to just keep going. <laughs> I do yeah, my, right. My, yeah. my 10k run into a 100k bike and okay swim squads at 11 good i'm done by lunch <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> like, like i'm warmed up i don't want to have to warm up again uh yeah. but i get what you're saying it's nice to have that nap in the middle <laughs> yeah yeah see like i and obviously like even though we're training as a squad like a lot of the time that last session of the day is just like an easy run so people can kind of go off and do it right. at their own right. pace and whenever they want um and often I'll kind of see people going off for dinner as I'm getting back from my run at eight o'clock or whatever it is. Um, I, I justify it by saying that at the, no matter how late in the day you do your session, you're still going to have 12 hours until the next one in the morning. Um, yeah. So I tell myself that I'm better to get the, the most amount of recovery between each session um, because that's going to have more of an impact than having an extra hour when I've already got such a, a big gap between when I'm sleeping in between. So that's what I tell myself anyway. <laughs> well, we're all, we're all so different. I remember, um, I don't know if you know Andreas Raylert and his brother, Michael Raylert. Andreas was an yeah. incredible athlete in his own. I think he came fifth or sixth in Athens Olympics, but then had an incredible Ironman career. Anyway, they stayed with us for about six weeks in Boulder, Colorado and 
Laura, Laura and I, like I said, we, we, we would wrap up our training most days by sort of two or three in the afternoon and then have some body work done or whatever and, and really be eating dinner quite often by 4 or 5 p.m. And then we'd be going down to the basement to watch Netflix or whatever we did back then before kids, but it was awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Andreas would be heading out for a, you know, 150K ride at 5 p.m. And we'd be like, dude, he'd be coming in. We'd already be in bed when he hadn't even finished his bike ride. So my point with all of that is whatever works for one, you know, it's like there's so many ways to skin a cat, right? It doesn't truly matter so long as, you you know, you figure out what works for you. Um, and on that, how many hours a week are you kind of – training in, in each discipline and how many miles are you doing um i'm not much for the numbers um mm. so i don't i don't really track it too closely um which i think most coaches probably find annoying like i don't really log my training or anything on training peaks um despite being told many times <laughs> to do so but um yeah i we train probably like roughly 25 hours a week yeah. Um, anywhere between 20 and 30, kind of depending on what kind of um, period of training we're at. Um, yeah. But yeah, like in terms of like the breakdown, I don't really know. Um, yeah. Swim six times a week, ride probably five and run probably six again. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny, isn't it? Those big hours training weeks, it's really just if you added some long rides in, all of a sudden you've got an extra six to eight hours of training in you know yeah, it's, yeah. it's not often you're adding a five-hour swim yeah, know, no, the yeah that's up. <laughs> yeah so if you're not into numbers do you do you know your vo2 max because i've had a norwegians on here um gustav eden and christian blumenfeld and, and their scores just seem out of this world i mean i don't know if you've listened to any of these episodes but you know they were suggesting sort of low 90s um and i asked gustav eden you know i said you know do you know do you know how to work the machine at this point? Because they, they seem to get tested every six weeks. He said, yeah, actually, yeah. we kind of do. We, we, he's like, we can kind of hold our breath or whatever, but they can kind of tell if we're trying to cheat the system. I'm like, yeah. are you doing a VO2 max test holding your breath? <laughs> <laughs> do you know yours? Are you willing to share it or you don't have to? I'm just curious. Yeah, uh, I haven't done it for years. Um, yeah, yeah. It was kind of something where you used to have to do each year Um almost kind of just to tick the box um, as I was kind of coming up as a, a junior. Mm. Um, so the last time I did it was probably five, at least five years ago. Um, and uh, I was like mid to high 80s. I don't remember oh. exactly what it was. So it, like it was pretty high still. That's phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, that, that's, that's, that's a nice place to be starting from at yeah. 20 years of age. Yeah, because it's not, not pushing true. Norwegian numbers, but uh, well, you just got to hold your breath. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's a trick. Yeah, <laughs> and and also last year it seemed you know well while we didn't have much racing going on, the amount of guys were going and doing five kilometer time trials, and um, I think did I see Alex Yi um, ran a thirteen twenty six? I might be misquoting that, but it was something like that. And then we saw a number of other of you, you, you guys, you're up against, um, you know, mid thirteens under, th under 14 minutes. Do you have a 5k that, you know, you want to share with us? <laughs> no, I reckon I was one of a, a handful of athletes that didn't jump on the track or didn't do any real racing during yeah. COVID and kind of take that opportunity. Um, so yeah, like the last time I raced, a 5,000 was back when I was running on the track. Um, 
I think when I was 17 or 18, I was like 14, 19, I think was my time. Wow. Um, but that's when you were 17? <laughs> I think it was, yeah. Um, it was. I remember, I think it was an under 20 Australian record or an under 18 at the time. I'm sure it's been broken now, but um, yeah. <laughs> were, were you getting um, offers for running scholarships for the universities in the States? Yeah, yeah, I used to get heaps. Um, <laughs> would always be like a message on Facebook from the from the track coach, and um, but yeah, obviously, like at the time I was doing triathlon, and I, at yeah. that stage I didn't know what I wanted to do, so it was kind of never yeah. something I really was yeah. too interested in in uh, in chasing. No, I think that's great. Tell me about your um. I mean, you, you left, uh, you, you had Jamie Turner as your coach for a while and then you went to the Joel Filial squad and, and Joel I've had on this show, just one of the world's greatest coaches, definitely at the, the World Series level. What's been sort of the big difference between their sort of coaching styles and what was that transition like for you? Um, the training is really different. Um, I, and I... Yeah, Joel's training is different to anything that I've really done. Um, there's a lot less of an emphasis on high intensity. Um, mm. We kind of just get to a certain level where we can really be consistent for months at a time um, mm -hmm. and we just kind of progress like that rather than, um, yeah, just trying to smash each other through the sessions, mm. which kind of used to be, it's obviously it's a lot of fun to do that, um, but it turns out it probably wasn't the best to help your progression and help you get the best out of yourselves. And that's kind of the way I used to train um, when I was with the Australian group and training under Jamie. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, I guess, a lot less volume and a lot more intensity. Um, and now it's the, the, the complete opposite with Joel. Yeah, jo Joel kind of pointed out his coaching he said to me and i'm going to get the quote a little bit off here but basically he said look i'm looking for the the optimal minimal amount of work so it's kind of trying to find the optimal amount for each athlete but you know to really make sure we don't overdo anything um and he didn't believe in having days off or you know something like that because if you need a rest day it means you've overdone the other five days or six days prior to the rest day kind of thing. And uh, yeah. it was all about just keep keeping going, going consistently. Um, and I think being in a squad environment um, with the likes of Mario Mola and Vincent Lewis, who have both been on this show and just said, look, we know the world standard is right next to us. And so there's something that allows us to train in a relaxed state, you know, because you're not having to force it because hang on right next to me, I've got, you know, you're training with Vincent Lewis, a 2019 world champion, Mario Mola, three-time world champion, as your training partners. Like that is the standard. So you don't have to force it. it. Are you able to find that you can just kind of relax in that squad with that kind of mentality? Yeah, like the yeah, the environment that we've kind of set up, and the, oh, I guess that Joel set up, um, is something that I don't think any other group in the world probably has. Um, mm. Like, yeah, it's it's so much about kind of staying within yourself. Um, and I, like, never would have thought I'd be okay to get three quarters of a track session done and then say to Joel, oh, I think that's enough for today. And, like, kind of have that – it kind of really empowers the athlete as well to kind of 
have that um, belief that more is not more um, and to be able to, yeah, could do that. Because obviously at that point when you like feel like you've done enough, you can always go more, um, but that not necessarily isn't going to be what's best. Um, mm. And to mm. kind of be in a, a super competitive environment because they are the best in the world and that any one of those athletes on any given day can will just say, oh, I think that's going to be enough for me today um, is something pretty unique, I think. That is unique. I, I cannot see myself being one of those people that would have done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have my ego is far too big. It's almost like uh, the maturity level amongst you all, all of you is is really quite phenomenal because I've heard you I've heard you all kind of speak the same way. It's like this. I don't know. You, you're able to compartmentalize your your egos. You know, put them to the side. Just turn up tick the boxes. Okay. Away we go. And I think that's phenomenal. And whether that's Joel or it's the personalities, the individual personalities in the squad, I think it's fantastic. Um, the dynamics of the team are working. That's for sure. Um, it really is fantastic. Are you mates with Mario and Vincent? Are you guys all hang out a bit? Yeah. Yeah. Like when we're yeah at the or together training, um, generally we're living yeah. together as well. We kind of, everything is together. Mm. Um, and yeah, like we just have that such a good, like bond with the group that that's like, we never in workouts have to kind of be fighting against each other. We're all kind of there to work together. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's like massive in helping kind of build that, um, group mentality, I guess. Who who else is a, you know, part of your team, your, your, your family and, and sponsors? Do you have your own sort of team there in Tasmania or are you, you're on your own most of the time or have you got body work people that you travel with? Yeah. So most of the time now I'm at home, um, I'd say 95% of my training is solo, um, which, which gets tough, but I do really like kind of going out and, and getting the work done by myself. Um, there's a li- always like a little bit of something in the back of your mind that worries that I'm not pushing myself hard enough and that it's not enough. But I think like kind of the same thing, like if I was training with Joel is more the effort rather than anything else that matters. Um, so if I kind of get to that point and I feel like I've had a good workout, then I've had a good workout. Um, mm. and, to like coming off the, the week, the race, um, just recently in Malulaba to kind of know where I'm at in my training in such an early point in the year, like I'm kind of six or eight weeks away from when I first actually wanted to race um, and to kind of be, in, had been in the mix with some, some really great Australian athletes um, was a massive confidence boost for me that I was like, okay, well, cause that was my first opportunity to race in uh, over a year and a half. Um, mm. And for most of that time I've been training by myself with no one to kind of push me along. So to kind of see that, okay, like, it's it's still working. Um, was a, a real confidence boost for me. Yeah, it, it's hard, isn't it? Um, that's the beauty of sport. Is, is you know you can have this self doubt or fear or any kind of anxiety that you can kind of have, but then when you go race, you get this really great feedback. Do you know what I mean? It's like okay, 
you know, I'm 10th, I'm second as you were at the Australian champs or I won or whatever, but you get feedback and then you know how to proceed. I think it's one of the great areas in life. Sport is so fantastic for that with, with the, the, the kind of feedback that you get. I mean, you kind of mentioned that sort of self-doubt. Do you have any sort of tools that you use to sort of use the self-doubt, manage it, um, when you have those long periods of time in between racing or is it just a matter of just turning up and doing the work? Um, yeah, it's almost just a matter of getting it done. Um, like I really like truly believe in the training plan that we have mm. um, and that Joel's kind of set. Um, and like since 2017 when I've been training with him, the, the training has changed only very slightly. Um, Obviously, like initially, like it was kind of a bit of a learning experience to kind of know what I can do and what um, I can handle in training. Um, but once we kind of figured that out, um, it just stays so consistent. Um, so I'll see the program for like one one week's run workout and uh, I'll know what next week's going to be just because the progression is generally always <laughs> pretty much the same. Mm. Um so I take a lot of confidence in that, that um, just kind of knowing how far I still have to go in that training progression um, mm -hmm. and where I'm going to get to and what I'm going to feel like when I get to the end of it. Um, like that's a massive thing for me. Yeah, having that experience and working with Joel now for so many years, knowing where you're going to get to, knowing where you're at and where you're going to go, it, it, that is great. You know, it, it's calming. Um when we look at the Olympics, you know, being in Tokyo, um, the test event was incredibly hot. What are you kind of thinking is going to take to win the Olympics? You know, what kind of a performance is it going to take and swim, bike and run? And and especially taking into account the, the conditions. Yeah, um, I think the conditions uh, shouldn't have too much of an effect on the performance. Mm. Um and uh, it's more about how an athlete can kind of prepare themselves to, to handle that rather than uh, adjusting their race plan or their, however they race normally to kind of be adaptive for the, for the heat and the humidity, um, which is something that I really learned at the test event in 2019. I kind of went there and I was, it was a, a massive group coming off the bike onto the run and uh, I kind of built it up so much in my head that this is going to be like a long 10K run and that these guys are going out too hard at the start. I'm going to settle into a pace and I'll catch them at the end. Um, and I, I basically just paced myself out of the race, kind of mentally just said, oh, well, it's, it's going to be different to normal. And it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, like me racing then and kind of having that experience of, really getting it wrong, I guess. Um, and, uh, almost, I guess, overestimating what it was going to be like. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's still swim, bike and run. So it's pretty simple really. Um, and yeah. you just have to kind of race it as best you can and, uh, and uh, do the, the small little things that are going to help you manage the heat. But yeah, like in 2019 at the test event, I, kind of got onto that run and completely changed the way I would normally race, uh, which is obviously something you don't want to do. 
and something what a great that, lesson though what a great lesson to have yeah you know, it's like it was, thankfully it was that. only just the test event so it was, yeah exactly it was okay. <laughs> uh, that, that's that what a great lesson you described that so well though um what about i mean have asics come out with the springy sort of carbon shoe yet are you are, are, what kind of shoes have they got because i i don't know about you but i've tried on some of these new springy shoes and it's insane yeah um, yeah so asics has had a um uh, they have a bit of a different approach to it. Um, where the race shoe that I've been using for the last, well, not that I really raced in the last 12 months, but the shoe I had in case I get to race, mm. um, as more of like a rocker, like it has a bit of a really kind of gets you on your toes and it has the carbon plate and the, and the soft foam. Um, but I know, I'm not sure when this podcast is, will come out, but in the next couple of weeks, um, we'll see what's, what's new from ASICS. Oh, brilliant. So that's right. good. <laughs> I just want to make sure you're in these new springy carbon shoes because they, mate, they they're like rockets. I can't get yeah. over them. How, how, I almost made a comeback a few weeks ago when I. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm excited for you to to make sure you've got some some great shoes. Um, now, look, but I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I do have a few more questions. Um, here's a question that I just like to sort of you know put towards the end of the show, but. What is sort of one tip that you can give for people on just how to optimize their performances or their lives? And, and, and maybe because you only more recent, you know, you're, you're a younger athlete, there's probably a lot more of the a younger audience, juniors, um, trying to optimize themselves. Do you have any sort of advice you can give? Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, like everyone's path will be kind of different. Um, and I, I gave a talk at my old high school a couple of weeks back, um, which is something way out of my comfort zone, <laughs> but, um, I kind of really focused on that. Like everyone has their own journey and the way I've got to where I am now is simply by taking that opportunity. Um, like that first time it was that, um, year four cross country nationals. And then I wanted to race better the next time. And I just kind of chipped away and, uh, and made the most and took the chances I had. Um, and I think that's something that's super important and super relative to everybody, no matter kind of what position they're in. Um, you kind of make the most of your own circumstances and that's where you're going to become your best self and, and your best athlete if that's what you're after. Yeah, I loved how you mentioned that early in the show. I was going to touch on, jump on it there where you basically said yes to opportunity. Um, it was how I was raised with my folks was, you know, any opportunity, you know, at least look, lean heavily into it, you know, give it a good consideration, um, you know, but you saying yes to that, it's amazing how that sort of just stoked the fire for the rest of your career. Yeah. Um, really, because, it really is phenomenal. Yeah. Like I don't even know if I would have progressed at all or if I would have even tried if I didn't mm. say yes that first time. So mm. it's funny how like at the time it was, I guess, kind of insignificant looking back, but it actually has had a, a massive impact on where this career has led me. Mm. And, and I love that it was even a roll down effect. It wasn't like you're yeah. the number one guy. It was like, oh, look, all these other people, you know, they're not going, so you can go. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I got lucky that time as well. So yeah, I have another question for you. If you could sit down and have a coffee with any living person, who would it be and why? Oh, um, gee, well, first off, I don't drink coffee. 
<laughs> you know what's crazy? I had this question written down as if you could sit down and have a Zoom call with anybody. And then I was like, no, people don't want to do Zoom calls, you know. And, and Jan Fudino, who was just on last week, was saying, yeah, no, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't do Zoom calls. I want a coffee with somebody. So now yeah. it's just backfired on me again. Great. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, uh, I'll have a smoothie or something. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> coffee um, time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it would be somebody in a, in a sport because um, I think it's no matter what sport, it's kind of relative. Um, things that they've learned are going to be things that I can take away. Um, so I'm, I'm going to say Lewis Hamilton. Nice. Formula One driver. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Seven or eight-time world champion. What is it up to now? I, I'm losing count. Yeah, it's hard to know. But um, yeah. I think, yeah, he's had obviously the most incredible career. Um, mm fought kind of through a lot of adversity and, and different things. And I think you'd have obviously a lot of good stories to tell and, and a lot of lessons to teach. So he speaks, he speaks so well and he's so passionate. I, I really, every time they put a camera in front of him, I'm, I, you, you find yourself wanting to listen. He's, he's just so good with the, quote yeah. the quotes. And, uh, so anybody that knows him, can you help, um, Jacob have a sit down smoothie? Do we say? With Lewis yeah. Hamilton, that'd be great. Yep. Let's let's steer him <laughs> steer him together, and then when he's done with him, he can come on the podcast here, and we'll have a chat as well. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> all right, let's conclude. I've just started doing this. I did it with Jan Fredino last episode. It was kind of a bit of fun. What it is is just fifteen rapid fire questions. All right, you ready? Yep, go for it. Okay, one. What is your favorite family vacation? Well, it's in Tasmania, just at our our family's kind of beach shack somewhere i haven't haven't been for a while but love kind of spending my my youth years there cool okay who would you dream of having a head-to-head duel to the finish at the tokyo olympics with who do you want who could you visualize uh mario and vince nice (laughs) i can even see that (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right here you go what would you change about yourself if you could um, I'd make myself a better swimmer. <laughs> well, there's so much less to worry about if I could, yeah. uh, if I could come out of the water with those front guys, make my life a lot easier. <laughs> I'm All working right. on it. Here's one. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? No, I don't know. <laughs> no, kidding. No, that's a trick question, mate. <laughs> okay. Outside of triathlon, if you could choose to do anything for a day, what would it be? Um, I always wanted to be an architect. So that's kind of my other dream job. Brilliant. Yeah. I could see you doing that. You're a photographer by heart too, right? You, you got yeah, artistic a little bit, ability. Yeah. yeah. All right. Next one. Which would you rather do? Wash dishes, mow the lawn, clean the bathroom or vacuum the house? Definitely mow the lawn. Boom. Same as Jan yeah. Fredino and myself. Yeah. That's an easy one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Who would you want to play uh, you in a movie of your life? You got uh, an actor in mind? Um, I feel like I was asked this recently. I don't remember what scenario it was. And I said Jake Gyllenhaal and it was only because he has the same first name. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I'll stay with up. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jan well, Fredino chose Chris Hemsworth. So I, I said, he's, you're kind of two different body shapes, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, slimmed down a bit for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where are we up to? Um here we go. This one. Would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? 
Uh, I'm definitely an introvert. Mm-hmm. If you could join any past or current music group, who would you want to join? Oh, um, Oasis. Nice. Wonderwall. Yeah. Is that who you sing when you go to karaoke as well? Um, yeah, it could be. <laughs> you and I, we could be a duet, mate. I love yeah. that. That's my, that's my go-to at karaoke. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's an interesting one. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, find I can't that answer that. I don't know. Because <laughs> you think how good it would be to speak every language and then it's like, yeah, but what about talking to dogs? Like how good would that be? Every animal. Every animal. Yeah. Think about it. A bird comes down and goes, hey, yeah. g'day, mate, how, how's your morning? That would be pretty be, great. Like, I think you can yeah. kind of Google translate your way through any language. So <laughs> I'll say yeah. talk to animals. I like that. <laughs> All right. Here's another animal question. If you, could, uh, if you had to describe yourself as an animal, which one would it be? Um, oh, I'd love to be a bird. I don't know if I would describe myself as like a bird, but that's okay. Yeah, we'll say that anyway. But I'd love yeah, to fly. Actually, would that be <laughs> perfect? All right. Um, here we go. Here's a hero question: Which superpower would you want to be invisible or have super strength? Uh, super strength. Really. I like that. Yeah. All right. Most recent boring. book you've read. <laughs> Most recent book. Uh, well, whatever was on the the syllabus in year twelve that I had to read. <laughs> so, not much That's of great. a reader. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. All right, then here's an here's an easier one for you. Uh, most recent show you've watched on Netflix or whatever. Um, oh, I'm currently watching uh, Cobra Kai. Um, mm -hmm. it's very easy watching. I don't know if it's that great really, but it's kind of something to, to have on. Yeah. At the end of a long day, just dumb yourself down. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Final, final question uh, of this little grouping. If you won a hundred million dollars in the lottery, how would you spend it? Um, I would buy a farm. It's not necessarily <laughs> to have animals or anything. I just would love to have a cool house on a massive lot of land <laughs> well mate you could do it plenty with a hundred million dollars and, and yeah. you need to have animals because you'll be speaking to them so there'd be yeah yeah <laughs> two birds with one stone <laughs> mate this has been awesome what's next for you then um you know in terms have you got any races on the on the radar coming up this year uh well there's a few options um and kind of in classic covid style we don't have a exact plan at this stage Mm. Um, I'll be staying in Australia for the next month or so. Um, and then uh, once we've kind of got through that, we'll know um, the May races. There's one opportunity in Australia, which is hopefully going to be the Oceania Champs at the start of mm. May. Or uh, there's also obviously the possibility of Yokohama. So we kind of just have to figure out which is the best to do um, following the plan for Tokyo. So mm. kind of just waiting to, to decide on that one at this point. Yeah, I mean, just race when you can, right? It comes back to that whole opportunity thing. If I yeah, race, exactly. Let's yeah. Race. yeah. And then, look, beyond Olympics and, you know, you said you want to race the Zatapec 10K, but what about in triathlon? Do you ever envisage, you know, I mean, you're only 26, is sort of Ironman and the other kind of – I used to hate getting asked that when I was a short course athlete, but, I mean, 
does the rest of the sport interest you? It's starting to, yeah. Mm. Um, mm. I always thought after Tokyo I would change things up um, and probably do a bit more non-draft, you know, a bit of long course and just kind of change it up because at the moment I pretty well only race the World Series. Um, that's my entire season. Um, but I think so that was kind of my plan after Tokyo, but I, in the last few years, I feel like my progression has kind of been continuing and I still feel like I've got a lot to give over the short course. Mm. Um, so now I'm pretty committed. I'm going to race through till Paris, um, in short course. And then uh, from there, I guess we'll have this kind of same decision to make again, whether I try and go again for the short stuff or wherever I start to um, transition to longer stuff then, which is probably the most likely case, yeah. Yeah. Oh, mate, it'd be fun. Well, you've done, you've had some success. Did you win Noosa? Was it 2019? Yeah. So, I've, yeah, a couple of times I've won Noosa. So, that's the oh, yeah, part World of me, Series yeah. and Noosa is my, my season basically. So, oh, yeah, I love <laughs> racing there, getting on the time trial bike. And yeah, um, I know I'm going to love doing some more non-drafting and some long course stuff when the time comes. Yeah. Oh, brilliant, mate. I'm going to enjoy watching you. Mate, this has been absolutely fantastic. Again, thanks so much for just spending so much time and getting to know you a little bit better, mate. It's been fantastic um, taking me through your journey. Where can people follow you um, and, and follow your journey on Instagram or where are you? Yeah, I'm on um, Yeah, most socials. I guess it's just Jake Bertwistle um, mm-hmm. with my handle, so pretty straightforward. Um, that's kind of where I sporadically post what I'm up to and and that. I guess where the journey is taking me. Perfect. You're lucky to have a family name that isn't like Bennett, where everybody's got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get to just have your name. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Mate. Well, everybody listening, I'll put all of that in the show notes and everything else. Um, but Jake, thanks so much for your time and just sharing your journey and all your knowledge and your process and everything, mate. I've really appreciated. Um, so thanks again for coming on. For everybody listening, like I said, you can find the show notes and timestamps and links and everything at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks again, Jake, mate. Really appreciate yeah, it. Stay on the thanks line. a lot for that. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Cheers, Cheers. mate. Thanks you all for listening. Uh, if you want to support what I'm doing, you can visit my Patreon page, The Greg Bennett Show at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And you can give as much or as little as you want, um, and you can end it whenever you like. I really appreciate any support. It just helps me keep doing what I'm doing here. Thanks again for your support. Stay consistent and endure just one moment longer. Thanks a lot for listening. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page, or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.